This world is filled with empty promises. There's a U.S. company that has an action figure called Invisible Jim that has sold uh, rather briskly in Great Britain for about $2.80 a piece. Why is it called Invisible Jim, you might ask? Because all you get is the packaging. There's no Jim. The packaging is rather attractive. It has bright phrases on there like lack of darting eyes and realistic fake hair and as not seen on TV and camouflage suits sold separately are some of the boasts that are made. The company says that they have received no complaints about the empty boxes. And in fact, Invisible Jim has sold so well that they decided to produce a companion action figure, Invisible Jane. But there is no Jane either. A spokesperson for the distributor says that when the first shipment arrived, they thought there was some kind of mistake at the factory, that they sent the packages without the product. But alas, good marketing, good packaging, an empty box. The world is full of empty promises. There are 527 days until the next presidential election in the United States. Many candidates are starting to declare more will enter the race. And I have no idea who's going to win, but it'll be fascinating. There is, however, one thing for certain. There will be no shortages of empty promises. That's the way of politics, so it would seem. Tell them what they want to hear, and then after you're elected, do whatever you want. Because the world is full of empty promises. Jesus had entered the scene with a very clear message. His message was, the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's a huge claim. The commands that followed to repent of your sins, believe in the gospel, and follow me are no small implications that follow that headlining message. And if you're going to make a claim like that, a claim like the kingdom of God is here, you better back it up. This better not be one in the long line of empty promises. You better produce some evidence. And so as we turn to Mark chapter 1 today, we see that the rest of Mark 1 is a display of kingdom dominance. It's a display of Jesus' dominance the type of dominance that comes from someone who can handle any situation, from someone who can meet any need that people have. The kingdom is at hand, and I'm going to show you right now. And so let's read Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21 together. This is what it says. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... He, being Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, 
for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere through all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill. She lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And she came, he came, and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought all to him who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him, and he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out, and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what we see here is four consecutive scenes of Jesus' authority, of kingdom dominance, of proof that the kingdom is here and here is the king. And these accounts are awesome in their own rights. And it's important to know as we consider them how the miracles of Jesus function in the Gospel of Mark. Miracles display something very important. 
Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, and yet there are the highest recorded number of miracles in this of the shortest Gospels. And the miracles have this dual purpose. Firstly, and obviously, they show that Jesus has complete power in the physical realm. He was really here. (laughs) He really did engage us as humanity in our greatest need, and he really offers us the best possible humanity. But secondly... The miracles function much like the parables do. Parables are stories that point us to a spiritual principle and a spiritual reality. Miracles are something that occur in the physical realm, but they point us to something in the spiritual realm. And most pointedly, the miracles of Jesus show us the truth that Jesus himself meets our deepest spiritual needs. And we're going to see some of that in these accounts today. In the first scene, verses 21 to 28, you see that Jesus displays authority in his preaching and in his power. He's preaching in the synagogue, and it wasn't uncommon for guests to speak among the people of God in that context, and it certainly wasn't Jesus' first time to do so. In fact, we see that he was in the synagogue as a young boy engaging the rabbis, asking them questions and teaching them. And see here, what is the result of this teaching? It says that there was a recognition of his authority. Look at verse 22. And they were astonished, it says, at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. You see, the scribes of the day were the religiously trained, but they had little personal conviction of the word of God. They would teach the interpretation of God's word that they had been given by some of the rabbis of old. And so it wouldn't be uncommon for some of them to say something like, well, as we see here in the prophet Jeremiah, this is what it says, and Rabbi Eleazar believes that it could mean this. And Rabbi Gamaliel doesn't agree with Eleazar, and and, and he says that it could mean this. And as a result, there was very little internalizing of God's word. There was almost no joy in teaching it. And there was no life that was being communicated through it. And so Jesus enters the synagogue. He relies on no interpretation of the rabbis. He opens God's word. He teaches it to them with conviction and clear meaning. And elsewhere in the New Testament, we see Jesus explaining how the Old Testament really points to his coming and his fulfillment. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Or Luke 24, 27, Jesus says, At the beginning, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus had come, he was teaching in the synagogue, and the people were amazed because he taught as one who had 
authority. There's a good example and a good word for you and for me here today. Good example for preachers and a good example for those who seek to hear God through preaching. Contemporary preachers do not have the same authority that Jesus has, of course. He is displaying a unique authority. And yet, in and of themselves, even though they don't possess that authority, when they rely on the authority of God's word and preach it with conviction, this is good for all of us. Why is that important to say? It's important to say because there's a lot of different types of preaching out there. (laughs) You need not seek preaching that is cold and lifeless theological jargon that might stimulate the mind but never motivate the soul. And likewise, or conversely, you need not seek preaching that is light and fluffy and full of stories that are intended to make you feel good. You can find both of those types of preaching in a lot of different places. There's no shortness of it, but it will not change you. True biblical teaching that exposes the meaning of the text points to how God works in it with conviction behind it and application that displays the glory of Jesus. That is something that will change you. That is teaching and preaching that has authority. I remember the story of the vicar who was on holiday from his church in England when his house was flooded. And all of his sermons were kept in the basement. And the first question he asked his son, who had gone to investigate the damage, was, are my sermons wet? No, Dad, the son replied. They're as dry as ever. (laughs) John Calvin once said, God designs to consecrate to himself the mouths and the tongues of men in order that his may resound in them. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And I'm struck by the old poem that says, Still thinking I had but little time to live, my fervent heart to win men's souls did strive. I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. Jesus is preaching with authority. And as he is, we see that a demon-possessed man rose up in the middle of the assembly and said, what have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Many people had yet to recognize who Jesus was, truly, but the demon knew. They knew that the claim of the kingdom 
And the coming of it was real. And that's why the demon thinks that his destruction is imminent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is displaying his dominance. And he silences him and he casts him out. And there's something that's really interesting to be observed there. Look at verse 27 again. It says, they were all amazed. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And so they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. Now that's really interesting because they're still commenting about the preaching. Did you get that? You would think that if a demon-possessed man rises up in the middle of assembly of a bunch of people and calls out in a strange voice and is cast out in front of all of them and there's a human body that's shrieking and convulsing in the front of their midst, they might be going, whoa, that's amazing. But they said their first words, a new teaching with authority. And secondly, the result of that teaching is that they acknowledge his authority, the authority. This teacher is so great that even the demons obey. King Jesus has authority in his teaching and he has authority over the dark forces that oppose his kingdom. It says in verse 29, immediately they left the synagogue and they went to the house of Simon and Andrew. And we see a different type of authority displayed here. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with fever. She was in bed. And upon Jesus touching her, she was healed. And it's actually a really sweet picture of gentleness. Sick in bed. As you can imagine, the woman is incapacitated. She is unable to welcome her guests. Jesus comes over. He kneels down by her bedside. And he takes her hand. And he lifts her up. In front of everybody who was in the house. Someone goes out into the city and tells them what happened. There was already a stir from the morning worship service. And now in the evening, men and women, boys and girls, parents and grandparents, homeless people, to wealthy people and everyone in between are making their way across town to sit at the door in hopes that they would be healed from what ails them. Some wanted to watch, but they didn't want to watch or see with the eyes of faith. The truth is, is that they just simply wanted something from Jesus. But at this point, they didn't want to bow before the king. They wanted the benefits of the king's authority. There's something there for you and for me. A lot of people want the benefits of Jesus' authority without actually coming under his authority. A lot of us do that at one point or another. We're all guilty of it at some time. And sometimes... As in this instance with the healings, Jesus gives those benefits, even though you haven't submitted yourself to him yet. But the real benefit, the real benefit is going to come a little bit later in the story as you truly surrender yourself to the authority of this king 
to become a member of his kingdom. And so the hustle and the bustle of a busy night was exciting, and I'm sure it was exhausting. And eventually the crowd died down, or they sent them away, and the people went home, and they went into their beds, and Jesus went to bed as well. And you see between the teaching authority, the authority over the demons, and now authority over healing, that the kingdom is here, and the king has complete authority. The kingdom is here, and the king has complete authority. But early in the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus woke up, and he quietly made his way out of the house. He tiptoed his way through. He whisked through the city before anybody was awake and could recognize him. He got to the outskirts of town, and you could imagine that he just climbed up off the path into the hills. And he found a spot to pray. It doesn't tell us what he prayed for, verses 35 to 39. But the fact of all of the things that he could do, and as the sun went up, the people thought that the show was going to continue. They all started to look for him. Of all of the things that he could do and all of the tugs that were on him, he carved out time to pray. Prayer is the mechanism of intimacy with his father. And for Jesus, it was so, and it is so for you and for me. It's been said that when man works, man works. <laughs> but when man prays, God works. Prayer is also the mechanism of power for what he was going to do next, and it is that mechanism for you as well. Jesus could spend his time doing any number of things. He could spend his time meeting the needs of the sick. He spent his time the previous night doing so. He could spend his time engaging all the political entities that oppressed the Jews. After all, this would point to the nature of a very powerful kingdom. But he didn't do that. He got away to pray, and when he was done praying, he made his intentions very clear. He tells his disciples in verse 37 through 39, since they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, eh. Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there as well. For that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the way the kingdom expands is through preaching. <laughs> Some people think that preaching as a helpful part of your spiritual diet is something that is culturally dead. <laughs> Some claim that preaching is too authoritarian or maybe it lacks tolerance. I've heard it said uh, that preaching is one of the least democratic activities that there is. We sit and we listen to a person speak, speak hopefully with authority. Sometimes we like what we hear and sometimes we don't, and yet we still sit there and listen. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry. Sometimes we have to go to the bathroom, but we sit there and we listen anyway. And we contribute to this activity in no other way than our presence and our active listening. But that is how the kingdom expands. When King Jesus speaks, 
He comes with true clout and weight. And when his messengers today preach, they don't stand on their clout. They don't stand on their influence. They don't stand on their personality. They stand on his because they are tasked with the communicating the message of his kingdom coming. The kingdom is here. And the king has complete authority. When we move to the fourth scene, we see where preaching and power meet together. Look at it with me in verse 40. I want to read it again. It says, And a leper came to meet him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Let's stop there. Do you remember what we said at the beginning of the message about miracles? The miracles of Jesus serve like parables. Parables that point to spiritual realities and how Jesus meets our needs in those spiritual realities. Perhaps there are no more vivid pictures than the casting out of demons and no more vivid picture than the the disease of leprosy. Leprosy is a disease of slow beginnings. It's overwhelming, destructive power and complete ruin as such, is uniquely symbolic of sin. And the healing from leprosy, the deliverance from sin. We know a lot more about leprosy today, of course, like most other diseases. But in the ancient world, lepers were the outcasts of society. It was believed that their disease was flesh-eating and open sores and disfigured extremities. Extremities were the markers of one plagued with it. And as such, no one was to touch them. No one was to even get close. They were perpetually unclean. They were persona non grata, they were the ones that you would steer clear from. If a leper was on this side of the street, you would cross over to go to the sidewalk on the other. And so for a leper to approach Jesus the way that he did was a bold move because he was unclean. If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Christ stretched out his arm and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. Moved with pity. You know, the Lord Jesus is marked by compassion. He hates to see people suffer in their infirmity physically or their sin spiritually. 
He hates to see you struggle and give in to sin and have it slowly eat away at your life to the point where it defines you. He takes pity. We know that the Bible tells us when Jesus came the first time, he did not come to judge the world. He came to save it. He does not currently execute his full judgment against sin. 2 Peter 3.9 says that he is patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but that all should reach repentance. His mission and the theme verse of this whole gospel of Mark is found in Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is kind and compassionate and merciful and just as he was that way with the leper. It is the way that he engages all sinners who cross the street and cry out to him for their cleansing. He will be kind and compassionate and merciful with you if you are the one who cries out to him. Christ stretched out his arm and he touched him. The one who announces the coming of the kingdom of God, the one who is displaying himself as the king, would normally be one who would never engage a leper and certainly not one to touch one with a deadly contagious disease. But Jesus does just that. He could have just said the words. And the guy would have been healed. But he touched him. He did so because this was the sign of his human compassion. He wanted the leper to feel something he hadn't felt in a very long time. He wanted the leper to feel his touch. He's not a distant king. He's right there with you. The one that nobody would touch was touched by the Savior. And in touching the leper, the disciples would see that Jesus was now ceremonially unclean himself. And this would point us to the core of this whole mission where preaching and power come together, the incarnation of Jesus all the way to the crucifixion. He would be unclean so that we could become clean. He would take our contagious disease so that we would be healed of our disease of sin. And he would take it all the way to the cross. The passage has a very short description of the healing, but I love the way that Kent Hughes flushes it out. He says, we would think about all the ailments that the man had 
rotting skin, fingers and toes that would have been withered away, a smell from open sores, perhaps a hand or a foot that was completely missing. And they were all instantly restored. Hair and eyelashes recovered, a full nose healthy and looking exactly the way that it should after years of disfigurement, restored, all in the view of people to see. And the leper, who like all of the other lepers, would announce their presence by shouting, unclean, 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 as they wandered through the streets was now running through the streets yelling, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. And this is what Jesus can do for you. Immediately, instantly, upon your belief in him, he can make you completely clean. If you recognize the leprosy, of sin that is eating away at you and you want to be cleansed, then don't hesitate to reach out to Jesus. He's compassionate and will show pity. He's loving and he will reach out and touch you. And in an instant, you will be cleansed. The kingdom is here and the king has complete authority. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, We pray very simply now that you would help us to know and to see and to feel the complete and utter dominant authority of our King who loves us, who is worthy of our adoration and our trust. We bend the knee of our will to him even now and say, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen.